This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Work Talk. This is a podcast series by The Straits Times to help you work smarter, think deeper, and get ahead in your work life. I'm Chris Bo. Before we move on to the podcast, I would like to tell you that Straits Times is launching a new newsletter today, May 9. Let me introduce my colleague, Joanna Xiao, our manpower correspondent. Joanna curates the newsletter, which will help you get ahead in your career and personal finance. Thanks, Chris. So our newsletter is called Hit Start, and we'll be sending readers our best stories on career development and investing every Monday morning. I think it's going to be especially interesting because we are writing more articles about work, looking at issues and tips that matter to workers. We'll tell them where good job opportunities are and how to navigate office life now that we're all returning to our places of work. And we've also got some great new personal finance series, like In The Money, to answer questions on investing, and a column called Young and Savvy by our younger colleagues. For example, for Mother's Day yesterday, Jessie Lim wrote about buying critical illness insurance for her mom, which costs a surprisingly large amount. Thanks, Joanna. And listeners, do note that we have a link to our new Head Start newsletter in our podcast text description. Do look out for Head Start every Monday morning. Now, in this episode, we are talking about a topic that draws delight from some and strikes fear in others. It is called hot desking, or hybrid to some. The removal of permanent desks from workers and replacing them with shared furniture and spaces that look just like airport lounges. Who is embracing this hot new trend? How will hot desking change the way we work? How should workers respond when they lose their desks? Joining me to talk about this are Chen Tang, the strategy principal at Unispace, a workplace consultancy. Welcome to the show, Chen. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. And we also have Joseph Kong. Joseph is the assistant director at ACE, the National Trade Association for Startups. Glad to have you on the show, Joseph. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Chen, let's start with you. Hard desking has been around for more than two decades. But the pandemic has really brought it to the forefront. Tell us the trend that you're seeing on the ground. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting topic. So I think the term hot desking or some you know, people in the industry might call it hybrid working or activity-based working. It's been around in most of the Western markets for, you know, the last 10 or 20 decades. So, for example, you know, the big consulting firms, the tax firms, the big banks have been doing this already globally. In Singapore, however, we haven't actually seen, you know, too much of this being implemented pre-COVID. So what COVID's really done in the last two years was really accelerate for Singapore especially, um, but several other regions in Asia, this process of shifting towards something that's, you know, more referred to as hot desking or, you know, hybrid working. Um, but in terms of Singapore companies now post-COVID, we are seeing that a large percentage have been either considering or are already implementing hybrid working or hot desking in their Singapore offices. So, you know, traditionally, some of the more traditional industries, such as legal, for example, would not ever consider doing something like this in Asia. However, now even the legal firms are starting to explore what is the next steps in hybrid working and by association hot desking is going to look like for them. And for different companies and different firms, it's going to look very different. Would you say you are getting more than 50% increase in inquiries, for example? Yes, I'd say 80% of the clients we're working with are looking to implement some form of hybrid working, if not more. How much savings are we talking about for companies that are considering adopting hot desking? 
It depends. Um, so you have the really large companies and, you know, you have your PWCs, those kind of consulting firms or the big banks. They would have already been on some kind of hot desking format pre-pandemic. It wouldn't have been as drastic as what we're seeing now. Um, but for companies like that, they're you know pushing for 50% reduction in real estate. But more commonly, what we see is there's a lot of companies who are embarking that first step. So pre-COVID, they had five days a week, you know, mostly and everyone had their own desk and they didn't have to hot desk and share and do all of these things. And for those companies, which are more common in Singapore, they're looking at anything between a 10% to a 30% reduction in their space. So yeah, that's factoring in the growth of their headcount. It's factoring in, do they want to repurpose some of the space savings into things that are more useful, like bigger, you know, staff, cafe, social spaces? more meeting spaces. So roughly, you know, I'd say 10 to 30% for majority of companies would make sense. So I guess as an example, if you had a 200 people office in downtown Singapore, your rent itself, you know, forgetting everything else, your biggest cost is rent when it comes to real estate. It's going to be around $2.9, $3 million loosely. And if you're saving 25% of that, you're saving $700,000 a year and your lease will be several years. So you're saving, you know, a couple million dollars. Mm. That's quite considerable. What are the pros and cons of hot desking? You know, we have got um, people who are fraud and people who are very resistant to it. Um, is there a hybrid format where we get to keep both the good stuff of hot desking and permanent desk? Yeah, so I'll start with the pros. I think the biggest pros are, you know, it's really for everyone, right? The company saving money, um, but also it's potentially actually rethinking the way they do things, which actually can make things more efficient. Uh, leaders and managers also benefit because they get more flexibility, but also, you know, that process of rethinking how, you know, how the team works, how people come together, how they meet, um, you know, is also a very beneficial process. And then I think the biggest one is for the employees, which, you know, we've heard that across the world, including Asia, 85% to 90% of people want some degree of flexibility in the future after COVID. So, you know, for the majority, that's something they, you know, really like. And Joseph, I'm not sure if you're seeing, you know, similar things out there or if, uh, if this is sounding all new to you. I think young companies, young businesses, they are quite open to this. Their employees are open to this and they are generally comfortable with, with such an arrangement. And, and, and this is, of course, from day one, because a lot of startups, they, they would have financial considerations. Uh, that's one. Two, they, they usually prefer and they enjoy this uh, very collaborative kind of culture and workspace. And, and that arrangement uh, allows for that. I want to get down to this, why workers resist hot desking. You know, we are seeing workers who want to do three day a week in the office. But they want to keep their desk too, you know, where are they going to put their golf clubs, where are they going to put their photographs, right? So tell us what are the reasons that workers resist hot desking and what bosses can do to overcome their resistance? Yeah, this is actually the biggest challenge and maybe one of the biggest uh, cons to hot desking is actually if you're a company trying to go to hot desking for the first time, you'll face a lot of resistance. You know, managers will be scared that the teams aren't as productive, um, but this is actually untrue, right? Um, a lot of data shows us that people have been more productive, you know, when everyone was working from home full-time the last two years. So, you know, that's a bit of a myth. And secondly, for workers, I think it really comes down to 
the psychology of things. You know, if I'm working hard for this company and I perceive as I'm losing something that used to belong to me, you know, I feel like maybe the company values me less now. But that's not the case, right? It's really about the flexibility and the upsides that, uh, you know, this new system brings. You know, for example, you know, people can now choose to work more remotely sometimes. They can, you know, have better work-life balance. They can actually be more intentional about when they go in. And I think not everyone's an extrovert. So many people actually prefer the time to stay at home, recharge, you know, have that balance. And then when they go into the office, actually be more, you know, friendly and open to their colleagues. So there's a lot of benefits, but I think people just have to get through that first step of change. And what we've noticed in the market is that every company doing this for the first time faces the same challenges, but almost immediately after people have moved into the new space and gotten used to the new systems, you know, there's been no complaints after. So, you know, the majority have really you know, enjoyed a new office, better collaboration settings, larger social spaces, the flexibility, you know, it's really quite beneficial after people move. But of course, you have that sort of fear up, up until the move happens and people actually get in and start experiencing what the new you know, space is like. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's continue the conversation with my guest, Cheng Teng, the strategy principal at Unispace, and Joseph Kong, assistant director with ACE, the National Trade Association for Startups. Joseph, you're a young executive. Tell us your experience without desking. I think there are two sides to this. Of course, you know, some prefer this system. Some are not quite in favor of this. I think generally startups and SMEs, they, they seem to be open to it. Uh, one key consideration, of course, would be business or rental costs. Um, and we also note that, you know, there are many co-working spaces like we work just call, call collective, just name a few. Uh, more people are getting used to hot desking, but I think only those who have really experienced it, they will truly know whether it is for them or not. But tubs generally, they appreciate their flexibility, the convenience and the collaboration spaces that this arrangement brings. Um, it works for young and small companies. Um, but for me, I think it's uh, really about whether employees are able to adapt or whether this is something that they appreciate. Uh, and I'm sure that employers, they, they do not want a scenario where it causes a, a less than desirable office culture which can potentially lead to unnecessary politics or even lower productivity. So I, I know there are some spaces with, with lockers, um, some don't. Um, I've heard, I've, I have a colleague who worked at a co-working space previously who saw a startup employee actually carrying his monitor to and fro work every day, right? Um, and he drives, so it's okay. But I think, you know, there are such considerations. And, and I do think that if, if companies do shift to a hot desking system or have thoughts of doing so in the near future, it would be best to engage your, the employees before implementation, help them understand um, the considerations and the benefits of such a move. Personally, I, I prefer a fixed space to myself. This has been an arrangement for me, for me since I started working. I, I, I'm used to it. I enjoy the space and the freedom to, you know, arrange items or my things to my liking. And I also do not need to book or look for a space right now. So not having that fixed space can be a little disruptive for me. Um, but of course, again, I, I note that there are advantages to hot desking, like what Chen has, has mentioned more open collaborative spaces, the opportunities to meet with, sit with um, different colleagues you know, almost every day 
and which could potentially prompt new ideas, better ideas. So again, there, there's no right or wrong. I, I, I also think that when company policies do change, um, employees will generally adapt quickly and get used to a new arrangement. I also think that for hot desking to work, right, the workplace should become more collaborative, more cohesive, and perhaps even happier. Otherwise, uh, I think some may wonder, you know, what is really the difference between working from home and hot desking at the end of the day. It 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 shouldn't just be about saving cost, and 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 there should be more to it. So when I listen to both of you, you know, the idea I get that is that it really is about how you communicate the new office space, right? How you sell the idea to the staff and not so much about the space itself. Is that correct? You know, if, if you were giving advice to a boss, Chen, what would you tell him to do when he wants to go through a hot desking conversion exercise? To answer that question, um, I'll build on what Joseph was saying as well. It's really, it comes down to your business and the key step, I think first, and this is what actually, you know, me and my team and my colleagues do a lot is we actually go in and understand what is your business structure. So if you're a startup and you're, you know, a hundred people with five teams, or if you're a multinational with a thousand people and, you know, 15, you know, key functions, it's really understanding, you know, which of the functions want to and can and make sense to do hot desking for because I don't think hot desking can work for everyone. So in a bigger business, you'll have individuals such as Joseph. And I don't know how often you go to the office, Joseph, but let's say a certain team or individual for their work needs to go in four or five days a week, then it doesn't make sense to make them hot desk because every day they have to come in, they have to go to the locker, get their things set it up and then do that every single day, you're actually losing a lot of time with productivity. These people aren't happy because they have to do that every day. So it's not about forcing hot desking for everyone. It's about thinking about where does it make sense to do it? And then where does it make more sense to do something else? And I think once businesses approach it this way, you know, it's open, it's a fair conversation. Everyone gets to voice their needs. And then afterwards, you can think about, okay, what are the spatial solutions? How much space do I need? And, you know, what else do I need in the design? But it's really about supporting the business and how the different teams work. I have a question for Joseph. You know, when I kind of resist hot desking, I feel I'm kind of funny daddy. I'm not keeping up with times because as you said, you know, the startups, the young executives, they love hot desking. It's so flexible, it's so chic, it's so trendy. And Joseph, you said you like having a permanent desk. Do your, your peers feel the same way? Or taking away your permanent desk make you very unhappy? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, I, I don't think taking the permanent desk away will make me very unhappy. Well, a permanent desk is, is, I would say, moderately important to me because I appreciate being able to leave some things in the office, having a fixed space to myself, knowing the configuration of my working space every day. Then again, that's it. I, I think I will be able to adjust quite quickly if my company do shift to a hot desking system. And in this regard, I think my peers feel the same way. I, I suppose it's a matter of adaptation and understanding uh, the considerations and the trade-offs and the, and, the, and the needs of doing so, right? Um, you never try, you never know. Um, I, I think uh, young employees or, or employees at large generally will be able to adjust, adapt, so long as they see some benefits to it and they understand why the company has chosen to do so. Well, we have come to the Ask the Expert time. So, Joseph, if you could ask Chen a question about hot desking, what will it be? Chen, I, I just have this question. Um, 
you know, as a as a industry expert in this designing workspaces, what do you think future workspaces in Singapore will look like in five to eight years? <laughs> That's a uh... You know, the question we're all trying to figure out at the moment, I think the space itself and the workplace design, I think, as Chris said earlier, it's not going to look that much different. It's still going to look like an office. And I think we're going to see anything new and revolutionary. It's just, I think it's more about, you know, the policy layer and how people use the space that might drastically change in the next five to 10 years. You know, a lot of the companies we're working with, we're studying that initial step where the change won't be big. You know, the teams will still have their own team space. And then everyone might have some flexibility within their, let's say, team space or neighborhood. But, you know, people still need to know where they want to go when they're in the office, where their colleagues are, where their team is and where to find people. Right. So it will be really interesting to see that now that Singapore has opened up when people are encouraged more to come back in for, you know, the collaboration, the brainstorming that you were talking about how the behaviors evolve again, because we've only been in COVID for the last two years or so. And now that we're coming back, we'll get more information. People's habits will evolve again. And then only time will tell what that keeps evolving towards. So I think it's really about keeping, I guess, the policy and the space flexible to accommodate a, you know, different scenarios that might come out in the future. Thank you, Chen. You know, all I want to know is how offices will look one year down the line, not even five. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, Chen. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you, Joseph. Thanks for the wonderful comments and questions. Thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure having you both on the show. I'm Chris Bu, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Work Talk, a new podcast by The Straits Times. If you'd like to read the columns, they appear under the series Work Life, and there's a link in our podcast text description below. Have a good work week. was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.